Hello fans and friends, I would like to welcome you back to Living Wild Outdoors. My name is Jake, and as all of you know, I am your host. On today's podcast, our topic of discussion will be Elkonomics 101. After doing some extensive research, we went in-depth on how elk hunting can be beneficial to our economy. I know, <laughs> kind of crazy, right? economics in elk hunting. Uh, we decided to look into how elk hunting can stimulate conservation efforts as well as the economy. Both of these we looked at on a national level and a state level. So starting off with a fun fact, did you know that the average elk hunter in the United States spends $1,201 per year chasing after these beautiful animals. That is $1,201 annually per hunter in the nation. And I know that number seems a little steep at first until you take into consideration all of the things that elk hunters have to purchase in order to go on an elk hunt. This includes everything from the purchase of their rifle or bow to their gear, which includes backpacks, tents, knives, bullets, food, and a bunch of other resources that they might need to survive in the wild for a week while they're chasing these elk. You also have to take into consideration fuel costs. As we all know, gas prices are rising and Although it's in our backyard, it's, it's still kind of a haul to get to the beautiful Rocky Mountains. Plus, if you think, barring that these hunters are successful when they go out to search for these elk, they then have to spend the money on the processing of that animal. As many people do not have the means nor the resources to process an animal that big, by themselves. And if you hunt and you think about it, a lot of us who get to draw that once in a lifetime bull tag and go into the unit with all the big elk and shoot that once in a lifetime trophy elk, you might want to get that mounted, right? And trust me, that's not cheap. Um, you know, because you want to have a story to tell about the beast that fed your family for that entire year following that hunt. And, you know, I grew up in a family of four. We would shoot an elk and we would have elk steaks once a week. And my family of four growing up would be able to eat elk steaks once a week until we went hunting the next year. So... Some of these elk are big enough that, that that's a lot of meat if you think about it. So we pulled some st statistics, sorry I can't speak English today, from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, which is a pretty highly credible organization here um, throughout the Rocky Mountain region. And I found a statistic that stated the national average dollar amount 
that hunters pump through the U.S. economy is upwards of $55.4 billion per year. Now think about that for a minute. $55.4 billion per year being put towards things like conservation efforts, economic growth, even job security, and population management. And you thought the $1,201 I mentioned earlier was a big amount. These numbers really kind of blew my mind while in my research because even as an avid outdoorsman myself, I did not think that the hunting population could put so much money into our economy. Now before you go on a rant about how hunting is bad and hunters are terrible people and do nothing but kill innocent animals, I would like to say that hunting supports economic growth by stimulating not only the federal but the state and local tax revenue. All of the money that we as hunters pump into this economy for all of the different things ultimately benefits everybody. How can that be, you ask? Well, hunting supports over 854,000 jobs, including game wardens who manage the hunting population and enforce strict hunting laws that are set in place for hunters to abide by, Waitresses who go to work and serve that nice juicy steak that comes out a savory medium rare when you decide to go to the Texas Roadhouse. It supports taxidermists who make a living off of mounting these beautiful creatures for hunters who endured a crazy adventure for this once in a lifetime animal. It also supports biologists who study these creatures and their way of living, their population growth. It even supports butchers who make a living off of chopping up that meat that will feed your family for many years to come. In regard to conservation, I researched who is the leading contributor and how much they contribute to conservation each year. Now, this statistic did not come as a surprise to me that the U.S. Department of Agriculture Wildlife Services led the pack with a total of $89 million per year put in to conservation. And another not-so-surprising fact is that 4.6% of that $89 million comes from none other than your hunting population. The state of Colorado alone collects $1.8 billion a year from hunters as economic contributors. So again... Before you speak, take the time to think how hunters really are beneficial to your economy. Every time a hunter purchases a license, there are certain fees associated with that license. So, just for fun, I have my State of Colorado small game hunting license in front of me. Now keep in mind, each one of these licenses has these fees, and you have to pay these fees every time you purchase a new license. So whether it be small game, elk, deer, antelope, moose, a fishing license, you pay these fees every single time. So in the state of Colorado, it shows on my license here, even though it might not pertain to hunting, Although, it could. There's a fee for search and rescue. 
which, yeah, you could get lost while you're hunting, and that fee would funnel into another job, which is the search and rescue team that will come and find you. But this also is in effect for anybody that decides to hike, snowboard, fish, or just plain recreate in the state of Colorado. Now, that fee is small. It's only 25 cents. But if you multiply that by the 96,184 total licenses drawn, which fails to include all of the hunters that were unsuccessful in the draw, that turns out to be a lot of money. There's also another fee on there on the same license, which states it is for a wildlife education fund surcharge. That totals $1.50. And now you would also multiply that number by the total number of hunters in this state. These numbers and statistics are pulled from none other than the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website. CPW is a state government entity that is highly credible, and they manage all of the hunting license sales, regulations, and hunting laws in the state of Colorado. That being said, there is a tremendous amount of money stimulating our local economy right here in Colorado from the people who choose to fill their freezer the hard way. These people come from many walks of life. They're not necessarily all Colorado residents. As many of you may know, Colorado is known for our massive elk population. We are lucky enough to have the Rocky Mountains right in our own backyard. And people around, from around the world literally travel here to experience and appreciate what so many of us take for granted. Now, you're probably wondering why the heck we don't just go to the grocery store and buy meat. After all, isn't that easier? Well, that was kind of a rhetorical question, but for those of you that do need an answer, the answer to that question is yes, it is easier. But do you guys have a cool story to go with that steak on your plate right at this very moment? And no, running into Karen at the local King Supers and telling her to shove it because you didn't choose a salad instead of a ribeye steak, that doesn't count. I'll now go into a little short story about my dad's latest success on filling the freezer the fun way. It was November of 2021, and my family was on our annual all-guys elk hunt. We do this every year, and it's a great opportunity to get out and enjoy the the fresh November air with our family and it's the one week of the year that it's guys only and we have a lot of fun with that. Anyways, the hunt was beginning to wind down and we had seen very few elk due to it being a really dry season that continued into late November. Uh, there wasn't any snow on the ground and it was just super dry so the elk hadn't really moved down yet because it it wasn't super cold yet up high so you know there's there's a lot of different factors that go into elk hunting my dad and I ventured out to what we like to call the honey hole and we knew that our success rate had been high in that area in the past so we gave it a shot it wasn't but maybe a couple hours in 
we saw two bull elk hightailing it right towards us. We obviously had to move swiftly to gain as much ground as we could to cut those elk off before they got into the timber. And now, I can't speak for my dad, but I do know that my heart was racing about 100 miles an hour. It was finally our time. It was up to our success to get meat for the 10 guys in our camp. So, my dad and I hightailed it over the ridge and started working our way towards the bottom of the hill. And as I'm running full speed ahead, I'm stopped dead in my tracks with those two bull elk standing inside of 200 yards. So, naturally, with my dad having the bull tag, I pull up my binos and try to find the elk, and I, I finally find them and notice that the front one is noticeably bigger than the one in the rear. It was in this moment that time kind of just froze. Both elk standing that close, not moving, broadside, inside of 200 yards, every hunter's dream, the perfect shot. My dad, in the meantime, had dropped down on a rock and had the front elk clear his day in his scope. The anticipation was high, and I'm waiting for what seems like forever for him to pull the trigger, and before I know it, bang! We had an elk down. The emotion that ran through my body and the excitement I had for my dad was unexplainable. He, he had got it done. And, you know, anticipation was high, the adrenaline was pumping through my body, but after reality set in, you know, after a few minutes, I knew that this is where the hard work would begin. We were a couple miles from our truck and a few more miles back to camp, so I knew it was going to be a long process to field dress this animal and get him back to camp. It was during this time which actually took a lot longer than shooting the elk that seemed like it went by in the blink of an eye. The adrenaline inside of me was still hot, and man, I tell you, I felt invincible. But the most important part and the most exciting part was seeing the look on my dad's face and the excitement in his eyes. That's what really made this moment all worth it. And I do not mean worth it because my dad shot an elk. I mean worth it because I got to be with my lifelong hunting partner during this magical moment. Now, as many of you may know, and some of you may not know, I'm not the most religious person. I, I shouldn't say that. I am religious, but I'm not one of those people that goes to church every Sunday. I do thank God every day for giving me opportunities and allowing me to wake up healthy and happy and to do the things that I love to do. I also feel that this moment was given to me and my dad by the good Lord to not only spend time together but to share a great success that we will be able to relive for a lifetime. Hunting isn't always about going out and shooting things. It's about finding yourself and finding your why. You might ask, what do you mean your why? Well, why are you here? Why do you do what you do? And most importantly, why do you trust God to lead you down a path 
that you're uncertain of? These are all questions that pertain to our daily life, and I find myself asking these questions every single day. So here is this month's parting question. What is your why? Think about it. it. It's probably right there at the tip of your tongue. You just don't know it. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts, so please feel free to reach out through the contact page on our website, uh, through WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, or shoot us a DM on Instagram. I would love to hear your guys' why. And it doesn't have to pertain to hunting. I just want to know what your thoughts are. Why are you here? Why do you do what you do? And why do you trust God to lead you down an uncertain path? Anyways, enough of the sappy, sad stories. As you know, our store is up and running at full speed, uh, livingwildoutdoors.com. And our YouTube channel will be filling up real soon with a lot of great content coming in 2022. Uh, we put in for a turkey tag, so we'll see if we drew that. Um, we also have our annual archery hunt. Um, we have our annual elk hunt again in November. And much anticipated, although it's not complete yet for about a few more days, maybe a week, um, the always anticipated waterfowl season. I appreciate all of you in the hunting community, both new and experienced, and I thank all of you that took the time to listen to this podcast and hear my take on conservation and, as I like to say, economics. So go give us a like and a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss any of those great hunting documentaries we will be throwing at you here very soon. Uh, could be coming as soon as March, or sorry, not March, May. May is when the turkey season starts. Kind of that April-May intersect. And, well, that's it for our February edition edition of the Living Wild Outdoors podcast. And as always, I would like to wish all of you a happy hunting. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next month on the Living Wild Outdoors podcast. Yeah.